You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Welcome back to another episode of Hoop and Holler and Happy New Year from the Hoop and Holler crew. As always, it's Reagan Griffin joined by Eddie Sun and Julio Martinez. Gentlemen, we made it, dog. We out of 2020. How we feeling? Doing very well. Doing very well. I'm excited for uh, you guys to come back to L.A. so we can get these runs going, maybe. No doubt. In a safe way. In a safe way. Obviously. Eddie, how we doing? I was... I was waiting for Julio to say that so he could, you know, he could he could school Reagan on the court <laughs> or something. <laughs> but but no, nah, it's good. It feels like I mean, it feels like more of the same, you know, staying at home, not doing anything, even though it's twenty twenty one. But hopefully, all of that changes up real soon. Even though it's not looking too great in LA and other parts of the uh, country and the world right now. But no, you know, looking not. forward to more basketball and then obviously going back to LA, meeting up with you guys again. No doubt about it. Should be very fun, and it's coming very soon. Um, but let's go ahead and get into the meat of today's episode. Obviously, with the new year, people have a rejuvenated spirit, right? They're coming into the new year with different aspirations, goals, and objectives, and that's what we're going to get into for the NBA today. We're going to be talking about some wishes and resolutions that we have for players, teams, systems around the NBA. So with that said, I'll go ahead and hand it off to you, Julio. What is your first resolution and or wish for the NBA in 2021? My first wish is for uh, Zion Williamson to stay healthy. Um, yes, for this year, but for the rest of his career um, and not have, you know, nagging injuries to lower body extremities like knees or ankles or, you know, his back, maybe his lower back, um, because he really dominates in a way. And I know we've talked about this before. He dominates in a way that's not like the typical superstar where he can be you know, an A-plus guy on a court without needing the ball too often. So, um, and obviously with his high-flying dunks and, you know, his, his explosiveness, he, he can be a great person to watch on the on the floor. So my one wish is, my first wish is for Zion to stay completely healthy. I applaud that, Julio. Because, you know, sometimes it feels like, you know, you just, I guess, you know, maybe I, I conflated it with something else. But sometimes I'll be feeling like, Julio just waiting on Zion to get injured, man. But I guess you genuinely want to watch him play. It's interesting, though, because I was thinking to myself the other day, I was watching the Pelicans with my dad. And um, he said, like, it, it doesn't feel like Zion's done anything. And I'm like, that's not the case. So I look at the stats and he's dropped like 28 points. And I kind of realized that watching him play is really not that exciting. Zion's not that exciting. That, that's kind of a crazy thing to say because of the highlights. But watching Zion over the course of 48 minutes is not that exciting to watch because a lot of his buckets are just hustle stuff, going yeah. and getting offensive rebounds and putting it back or just being stronger than whoever's guarding him. But, uh, um, yeah, that, I, I think we that, always that's why on a side. That's why on a side note, um, 
I retweeted and I quote tweeted actually what Eddie said. Uh, he tweeted one a, a few days ago that once the Pelicans or the Pelicans need to realize that their best player is Brandon Ingram, or a, at least in a way to, I guess, feature him. Because you don't need to feature Zion. Zion is going to get his mm-hmm. just by virtue of being on the floor and playing, you know, uh, enough or sufficient minutes. Bi is the one that they need to feature, whether it's at the point guard position or whatever. He he's their best player. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, my my first wish though is for Zion to stay healthy. I feel like Zion has been playing like less explosive this year. Not that I think he lost his explosiveness, yes. but I feel like it's more of a injury maintenance thing. Like, he's not going up and doing, like, 360 dunks or jumping super crazy high anymore, which kind of sucks because it takes away from the whole experience of Zion. But, you know, I guess it's better for his longevity. But I think you're right, Reagan. Like, I don't know. Watching the Pelicans is not really fun, you know, maybe because you're just expecting more and it's not really right. – it's, it's just not really there, you know, for the for the viewing experience. And to Van Gundy's credit, like, he's stuck to his guns and he's played Zion, like, what? 35 minutes a game something like that so i mean something like that you know maybe it's trending in the right direction for you julio to where your, your wish can come true there but i'll flip it to you eddie what you got <laughs> so before i give my new year's resolution um i kind of want to make a statement about resolutions themselves oh god here we they go. never get accomplished right here here, here like, goes on the soapbox people people make these you know big wishes and and you know make these grand resolutions and, you know, about a month in, people already start to realize they're going to come up short. So all of my resolutions, I hope they happen, but I'm just expecting that they won't. Mm. So that's all I have to say. My first resolution is something that both parties would hope to resolve in their lives. For one side, it's James Harden. We all know that he wants to get out of Houston. So I want to resolve that for him and trade him to a destination where he wants to go. And on the other side, the receiving party of James Harden, I hope the Atlanta Hawks realize it's time to compete because Trey Young is a superstar right now. And they need to start thinking about Trey Young like Dallas thinks about Luka Doncic, which is we need to start surrounding him with pieces to build a championship contender. So if you're the Atlanta Hawks, you've done a good job in rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And you've accumulated, you know, good young pieces, and you obviously still have picks to trade in the future. You need to package some players that I don't think are going to be long-term fits or are playing, you know, a role that is not situated for them. And uh, um, um, Kevin Herter, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, mm-hmm. um, you got to throw in Gallinari mm-hmm. there for uh, salary matching, mm-hmm. and then throw a bunch of picks as well. Go get James Harden, pair him up with Trey Young. You still have Capella, you still have Okongwu, you still have Cam Reddish. Um, you have enough to compete moving forward and compete right now. Mm. You see, I, I have one question. I, I think I we have the same you. question, Julio. See, see, I, see, because I totally agree that I'm all for trading young guys for a superstar. And whether, you know, I, I love James Harden or not, that, that's not the point. He, he's an, an established superstar in the NBA. B.I., Lonzo, all these guys don't add up to AD, right? So I totally agree with you on that end for the Atlanta Hawks, but what I don't agree with you um, or my hesitancy on that particular deal is that, you know, your future is Trey Young. Would you be stunning his growth if you bring on James Harden? See, I don't think so because I feel like they can coexist. They just play the same game on like different polar ends. And plus, 
if you're asking both of them to share ball handling duties, essentially you're just splitting it, you know, 50% and 50% throughout the entirety of the game, which is so it's going to be like, so it's going to be like a James Harden, Chris Paul, you know, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. But we've seen Harden this year, right? Because of Steven Silas, they, they infuse a little bit more creativity. I think that he's receptive of that. And the truth is if you have Trey and Harden, you don't need to do a ton of stuff, you know, like, you just have to throw in a little bit of actions. But, you know, those are two supreme offensive talents, maybe, you know, two of the top five offensive talents in the NBA, where you put them on the same team, you can't tell me that's not, you know, championship level. With yeah, the two of them alone. I guess the biggest hurdle, and I'm not like mad at it, because again, talent ultimately is what prevails in the NBA. But the best offenses, right, are ones in which you have all five players engaged at the same time. And I'm wondering what the engagement looks like for Trey Young when James Harden has the ball and vice versa. That's the only thing I can't really envision right now. And it's worked. So, I mean, shoot, you had what? James Harden and John Wall drop a combined 55 points and 17 assists the other night. Um, but in the same vein, I don't know. Like, especially particularly Trey Young. I just wonder what Trey Young's game looks like off ball because I've never seen it. I've literally just never watched that occur on an NBA court. I mean, I would say that, you know, if you're if you're talking about engagement, I mean I'm sure Capella he he loves Harden because he got paid by James Harden, you know, and Okongwu <laughs> the same deal, you know he's gonna love playing with Trey and Harden. And you talk about the wings, like, um, I mean Cam Reddish, I still think, I mean I think we all see at least me and Reagan like that he's gonna be a pretty good player. He's Cam Reddish, pretty good, man, you know this year. So again, if you can keep him, that can be a three and D wing with you know more potential than that, and then. I mean, I forget who's going to play their four. They're probably open hole there. But again, if you have those kind of players, it's like, one, if you're winning, I feel like that automatically gets you engaged. And two, I don't think it's really like a Houston Rockets situation where you're, you know, you're playing pure iso ball and asking people to, to just, you know, stand in the corners or whatever. It, it, it'll probably work better than that. But I'm just thinking about Atlanta. You know, it's, it's time to compete because Trey is, is, is too good you know, to be wasting his years in mediocrity. See, I would disagree with that, though, because it doesn't seem like, I mean, Atlanta, what? They've only lost one game so far. I don't think they're going to be in, in your, mediocrity. You said what? In your trade proposal, did you include Bogdanovich or no? I don't think he no. did. That's lethal. The, that would go that crazy. Would it would be, go crazy. You, team, you'd you'd instantly be, be uh, um, a contender. I'm not sure I'd be willing to go so far as to put him over the Nets, just considering how much... I'm infatuated with the the way the Nets are playing basketball right now, but that's an instant contender. There's no if ands, buts, or, or buts about that for sure. But hey, all right. How about your uh, how about your resolution? All right, so I'll let y'all pick. Say one, two, or three, Julio. Two, two. All right. My first resolution, and really, this is more of a wish than a resolution. Um, but it's that Draymond comes and rescues Steph because he needs it right now. I need. I know as Julio, hear me out, man. I think, I mean, we've beat this horse on this podcast before. It's that the Warriors have no have players who have no clue how to run the system that they've used to run, yet they're still trying to run the same system. And I think not only does Draymond help the team by just simply being on the court and having an awareness of how things are supposed to work with Stephen Curry, but also... When I watch Steph's body language, and we talk about how Steph's just an all-around nice guy and a kind leader, he's not really the type of dude to impose himself on other people, you watch his face and his body language as stuff occurs throughout the game, and, you know, Kelly Oubre does a, makes a stupid play, or Andrew Wiggins does something he's not supposed to do, 
Steph's not the type of dude who's going to be like, Andrew, what the fuck are you doing? You know, he's like, he's just kind of there. He might wince a little bit. He might like, you know, look, he might just give you a face, but he's not really the type of dude to go over there and get into his grill a little bit. But I think that's the type of dude that you need right now. You need Draymond on the court who's going to literally pull you aside, get in your face and say, you had Stephen Curry wide the hell open in the corner. Why why are you taking a contested layup, Kelly Oubre? Like those are the type of dudes that I feel like ultimately help other guys get better quicker. Um, so having Draymond Green on the court to kind of correct those mistakes as they're happening, I think is going to be vitally important for the Warriors moving forward. And then also you have another guy who's capable of handling the ball and running the offense. And we know what he provides on the defensive end. So my what? wish, just because I see Stephen Curry right now and I'm hurting for him, is that Draymond Green comes and acts as somewhat of a savior to Stephen Curry. When? That that's the most insulting thing to stuff, <laughs> bro. I mean, am I trip? Like, did I did I cap at any point? Did I cap at any point? Steph's no, not the dude no, who's no, going to get no, into just... Kelly Oubre's face and say, "What are you doing?" He's not going to be the type of dude to get in Andrew Wiggins or whoever the hell else's face and be like, "You have to be doing better at this. You have to be getting me the ball when I'm open. You gotta have a you gotta have a bodyguard to do that for you, man. That's Draymond Green. That's Draymond. When is he slated to come back? This this Today. next game. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh wow! I'm, I'm have to I'm gonna have to catch that game. And you're gonna this see it too. Single. Let 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 Kelly Oubre go up for a, a contested fadeaway <laughs> mid range when Stephen Curry is wide open oh. in the corner. I promise you, Draymond Green's not going for that, and I promise you, Kelly Oubre won't make that mistake three times in the same game. Those are the type of dudes that that like when we talk about leadership. That's what you really need on the court to kind of correct those things as you move along. That's the type of voice that you need. And I, I know you know that, Julio. Like, Draymond Green's not the type of I mean, dude who's going to stand for BS. My, my thing is, do I agree with you? Sure. How much is that going to improve the Warriors minimally? And at first, probably minimally. But over the course of the season, I think you definitely start to see those players take strides. See, I think Maybe. we didn't allow teams to... You know, we, we didn't allow time to let every team, including the Warriors, you know, grow into the season a bit because we talked about how there's no preseason. And albeit, you know, they played Detroit and Chicago, but they're starting to get, you know, the, the idea of this offense a little better. And part of it was Steve Kerr talking about simplifying it. But, you know, you see players like you see Steph curling from the corner to the wing. And Andrew Wiggins was like, oh, I need to set a pin down. Yeah. And all of a sudden he realizes that, OK, you know, Steph Curry got open for a three. It's like the players are starting to get it. And I do think Draymond, you know, being there and yelling at people because no one else is going to yell at anyone, not Steve Kerr, not Steph, um, is going to be something that's vital to the team. But, you know, they're two and two now, like a lot of other teams. So whatever doomsday is said that the Warriors are going to, you know, struggle this season. I mean, they might. I'm not saying they won't, but, you know, it's early. It's early. Any given system will work better against worse teams. That, I mean, that's all I got to say. I mean, granted, they beat the Bulls and who else? The Pistons. Those are those are some piss-poor defensive teams, particularly. Yeah, the, but, yeah, I mean, maybe that's the type of, you you know, get you some scrimmage games in. You know, I, I noticed the play that you were talking about with the pin down, and I was like, that's not an Andrew Wiggins play to make. But, you know, like you said, they're starting to get it a little bit. But let's go ahead and keep it pushing. By Julio, the way, cut, cut, cut the, uh, just quick point, cut the Wiggins slander, again, against the Bulls and Pistons, but... You know, he looked fine. I'm saying, like, I, I don't want people to act like this is some bum. Like, he's not worth the max contract. But, you know, he can be any defender that's matched up up to him. It's just about making the right decisions after that. And he's starting to, you know, put that to mind, slowing the game down, all of that sort of stuff. 
He's definitely looking better. And, and I think it, it's a, a case to where you just get him some easier shots in the beginning of the game, make him feel like he doesn't have to force anything. Once that dude gets into a rhythm, he becomes what everyone thought he would be, which is just, you know, a bucket getter. And we saw that in certain spurts um, this past few games. But Julio, you go ahead with your second wish last resolution. My second wish is for the NBA and all these teams to mm. stop creating so many damn blowouts. Mm. And I'm watch I'm watching more basketball. Uh, and again, this idea isn't for any specific player or team. But I, I've been watching more basketball than ever. I think. Um, and I'm just seeing so many blowouts. And, and maybe it got magnified with the Christmas Day games. Maybe it's a product of starting the season. You know, the turnaround is so fast for a few teams. And the turnaround for other teams like the Warriors w- w- was like months and months and months. Um, and maybe it's a product of, you know, th- th- there was no preseason like Eddie mentioned. But these blowouts got to stop, man. I- I'm tired of watching blowouts. Like there, there is just too much talent in the NBA. And, yes, I do like to clown teams with, you know, their young guys and, and you know, lack of talent on, you know, g- some given teams. But – you know, there, there's so much parity in the NBA. There's so much talent across the league that you, we shouldn't be seeing this many blowouts, you know? Um, and it's kind of upsetting and frustrating. So that, that's that's my wish list or, or my second wish for the NBA. Hmm. Interesting. It's funny because that was going to be kind of, you know, related to another resolution I had. But no, you're right. Um, the blowouts really suck. And the crazy thing is, it feels like every game that's on national TV is like always yes. a blowout while there's a lot of other games going on in the same night that come down to the wire. And that to me is just something that the NBA needs to figure out is that I think branding these sort of national games on storylines, like playing the Clippers against the Nuggets on Christmas Day because of, you know, the playoffs or Lakers and Mavs because of, you know, LeBron's legacy and, and Luca's growing legacy is like, it's great. Like it's great for, you know, advertisements, is great for the promo, but you know the Clippers are better than the Nuggets. The the Lakers are better than the Mavs. So, you know when they schedule these games, it's like, well, if you're not scheduling opponents to match up well, but instead you're you know talking about storylines, well, you're bound to get some you know subpar games, and, and that's something where I feel like you know the NBA probably should understand a little better is that you know, viewership has been, uh, I mean, I think the ratings were up this year, but viewership was down last year. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to, you know, not great kind of scheduling. And maybe that's too many Pelicans games trying to hammer Zion to people. Maybe it was, you know, too many Warriors games, you know, like post-prime Warriors games. You know, like it could be a lot of those things, but like, yeah, the, just a lot of blowouts that I think are created by not great scheduling matchups. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard the the conditioning be thrown around, too, is that certain teams just clearly aren't conditioned as well as other teams. You didn't have the preseason to get um, everyone kind of on the same page in terms of their physical fitness. But, yeah, it's definitely not fun to watch, right? It, it's kind of forced all of us to be in this state of, and, you know, to some extent or another, there's certain advantages to it just because, you know, we're not really looking at the games as products uh, of like really good competition but more so of some of the nuances that we're observing you know a lot of people have been hopping on the Tyrese Halliburton bandwagon as of late and I know that's you know nice for you Eddie because you've been on that bandwagon but uh 
Um, I think people are kind of looking at it more for like certain players and, and certain things that they're picking up on throughout the game rather than the result of the game itself, just because the results have been so lopsided. Um, but yeah, obviously you want to see competition. You want to see teams go down to the wire. You want to see game winning shots. Devin Booker had one the other night, right? That's the um, sort of stuff you want to see. Yeah, or like I mean, even Jason Tatum, you know, the the opening night against Milwaukee, like like, like that sort of stuff is cool. In, insert Paul George. That's a bad shot, bro. That's a bad shot. <laughs> it don't matter. Um. All right, I'm up. So Are you I, up or you want me to go? Oh, my fault. My fault. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's on you, Eddie. Uh, we can switch up the order. It's cool. We don't, have, we don't have to have rules in 2021. Hey, yeah, the but, anarchy. Um, All right. Um, so my next one was that, and I know I've talked about him recently on this podcast before, but like this is kind of the hill I might just die on this year just because I'm so infatuated with this guy's game, and that's Darius Garland. The resolution that I need is that the Cavs need to make him the focal point of their offense, the primary ball handler. Um, and really the, the vehicle through which their team functions offensively because he's that kind of special man. There's this notion that, you know, between Sexton and Garland, there can be like the next incarnation of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, which is not something I'm going to dispute, right? Because they both kind of have like, they have that kind of talent about them. I don't know if they can be as good, but they have that sort of play about them. But the thing is, we have to know who's Lillard and who's CJ McCollum. And if you ask me, no one, no one. Dog, can I finish? Can I finish? (laughs) Kanye, can I finish? Can I finish real quick? (laughs) Man, Julio. All right. So Darius Garland, right? If we're comparing them and obviously it's not an apples to apples comparison, but if we're talking about Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, Darius Garland is your Damian Lillard. Colin Sexton is your CJ McCollum. Because when you look at what Damian, I mean, Thank you, Eddie, for your uh, for letting me use your cleaning the glass account because I kind of had to go to the analytics on this one because I knew there was something there that was not like clicking on the court. But Garland has the third highest usage on the Cavs behind Col- or it goes Andre Drummond then Colin Sexton. What the hell? Explain the Andre Drummond part is hilarious. That doesn't even make con- sense. It's, it's, it's contract your drumming, bro. I'm like, what? He's never taken before. That cannot fly, bro. <laughs> that can't fly. Garland's hitting 45.5% of his threes on 5.5 attempts per game. A lot of those are coming off spot-ups, granted. They're not really coming off of pull-ups just because that's how the offense works, and far too often I see the ball start in Colin Sexton's hands instead of Darius Garland, but the dude can shoot the thing. Um, He has... The most underrated handle. I think I'm going to go that far to say he has the most underrated handle in the NBA. I like his handle genuinely. If we're just talking about dribbling ability, it's damn near rivaling that of Kyrie Irving to me. Like it's that ridiculous. I'm bro. Julio, I'm telling you, dude, it is ridiculous. I'm not going to say it's Kyrie level, but like it's the dude's has he's unreal. And it's consistent. He's breaking dudes down left and right when he gets the opportunities. His assist-to-usage ratio, right? That's an analytics one for you, Eddie. Assist-to-usage ratio is in the 84th percentile at his position. That's damn good, bro. Like, for y'all you who were like me a year ago who didn't understand assist-to-usage ratio, 84th percentile, all that shit. Basically, what I'm saying is for the amount that he gets to run the offense, right? For the amount that he gets used for the Cavs and the amount of assist he's producing out of that, right? It's 
better than 84% of the guys in the NBA also playing his position of point guard. It's ridiculous. The dude has all the pieces. He doesn't make bad decisions. He's only averaging, what, like 2.2, 2.3 turnovers a game? Like, he does it all, man. I don't understand why the Cavs are so, like, hell-bent on using Colin Sexton and Darius Garland as, like, a 50-50 compliment. Let Darius Garland do what he does. He's the better player. He is the better player. And Colin Sexton's okay. good, don't get me wrong. He's a better scorer, and he actually gets to the line a lot more consistently. I think he's in the, like, 93rd percentile. Again, I was going crazy on cleaning the glass. He's in the 93rd percentile at his position for getting to the line. But Darius Garland's better, man. Let him thrive. I'm just curious, did you check what I mean, Colin I'm, I'm, Sexton's assist to usage ratio was? I don't even want to see that, bro. <laughs> I don't want to see that. <laughs> like, okay, I, I'm not going to dispute that Darius Garland, you know, that he that he's better. Because um, I also do believe that. But Colin Sexton is nowhere near CJ McCollum. Right now, uh, bro, okay, I'm not saying, like, they're going to just turn around and give Darius Garland the offense and they're going to turn around and be the Portland Trailblazers. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying if you're looking down the line and you're looking at the talent that you have in-house right now because you do have, and I know you hate this term, Julio, you do have solid young pieces, right? When we talk about Sexton and Garland. We talk about Larry Nance. We talk about Okoro. Seti Osman's shown some stuff here and there. When you look at down the line, you're saying this is how we want our team to function in the future when we do foresee ourselves comp- competing. That team's at its best when Darius Garland has the range of the offense, and it's not a 50-50 proposition between him and Colin Sexton. Let Darius Garland be what drives your offense because I'm telling you, that's that's it. Like He has all the pieces to be that guy. Yeah, I mean, no, I can't can't dispute that like Julio, but I will say Colin Sexton, after you know hating on him his rookie year because everyone thought he was going to be a good defender, <laughs> he's still not a good defender, but he's really surprised me as a scorer. Like he's oh, yeah. a legit bucket getter in he's this a, league, and, um, and and I think you can play those two together. Exactly. You know, you might leak points, but they're they're going to be pretty good offensively if, like you said, they figure out what the pecking order is. Um, that, that, that's a solid backcourt to build around. And it's like, let him do what he does. He's a bucket getter? Great. Let him go get buckets when you need it, right? But when we're talking about running the offense, you don't give the ball to somebody who's pretty much just a scorer and allow them to you know, run the offense because that's not what they're going to be apt at. Let him play off of Darius Garland. Let Darius Garland put him in positions to where he's going to be able to score even easier than he already does and let it flow like that. Like that, It makes sense, but it, I think it's because Colin Sexton came in first that they're kind of just hell-bent on saying you know what we'll let you know Colin Sexton be the point guard sometimes and we'll let Garland be the point guard sometimes and try to trade it off like no don't do all that let the let the put him in the best position to succeed that's all I'm saying let Darius Garland be Darius Garland free him let him be Damian Lillard I'm telling you Julio give it three years dog you're gonna love his game you're gonna love his game um but we're on to Eddie now we're on to Eddie all right, so my second resolution is I need teams and GMs and, you know, the people who build rosters to start doubling down on the strengths of your team. Mm. I've said this so many times. Double down on the strengths of your team instead of trying to, you know, plug holes where your weaknesses are. And I'm looking around the league right now. Um, I see a team like Atlanta, which has no defense whatsoever on their roster except for maybe Cam Reddish. But they're the number one offense in the league right now, and they're four and one, I think, or something like that. You know, I'm looking at Charlotte. You know, Charlotte's two and two, and, and I don't think that's going to hold. But they're playing a lot of PJ Washington at the five. You're going to leak points defensively, but that's a damn fun team. You know, when we talk about offensively, 
And there's, you know, incorporating LaMelo, like, better. You know, Devontae and Terry Rozier are playing really well. Gordon Hayward looks good. Um, the Kings, you're playing Halliburton, Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox lineups. Maybe you think those three-guard lineups are going to leak points because they're too small or whatever. But, you know, I love Halliburton. And, you know, putting Harrison Barnes at the four and Rashawn at the five, that's a really good lineup. And Sacramento can be a legit good team if they do that. Um, the Spurs, they're playing four guards in their lineups. You know, you can do away with this traditional, I got to play, you know, defensive wings at the forwards position, kind of whatever, you know, mantra. Um, uh, teams have to figure out what their strengths are. And for a lot of these teams, it's, you know, the offensive side of the ball. It's the sort of uh, scoring explosion, playmaking. And they need to double down on that by facilitating a better environment for, you know, their strengths to really thrive. So I'm looking at a team like the Warriors. You know, they're coming into the season talking about we have Steph. Um, let us build a top 10 defense and have Steph do everything else on offense. That's a bad mentality to have because you're not letting your strength, which is Stephen Curry, be a strength. You know, you're having all of this other stuff like, you know, putting Kelly Oubre in there and it's neutralizing what strengths, you know, what, what Steph's strengths are. And, you know, this is why I talked about if you're the Warriors, you should have surrounded Steph with a lot of shooters. That's easily the number one offense in the league. If we saw what Dallas did last year, if we're looking at what Atlanta is doing with Trey Young this year, Steph with shooters is going to be, you know, the number one offense in the league by far. And, and that's where, you know, I get confused about how teams build these rosters. They're too caught up with, you know, we need to have a good offense and a defense. You know, we need to be good on the perimeter and on the interior. You know, like it, it's too much, you know, double-sided thinking. It's like identify where your strength identify where your strengths are. I almost lost my breath there. <laughs> um, double down on that strength. And guess what? You're going to have a fun team. Players are going to buy into that system. And because there's more buy-in, people are going to compete. The only teams that should be worrying about, you know, your two-way prowess, you know, offense and defense are teams at the very top, talking about like the Bucks, the Lakers, the Clippers. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be the best of what you are as a team if you just focus on your strengths and build around that. So question for you and I'm pretty sure you know what's coming. Is it the same on the flip side, where if my strength as a team is on the defensive side of the ball? Absolutely. Okay, all right. Like, look at what the Lakers did. Anthony Davis, you know, is, I I guess it's not their focal point, but if you have Anthony Davis there, they got Frank Vogel, they instituted a defensive system that highlights Anthony Davis's uh, defensive prowess. You know, you got tough perimeter guys who know how to, you know, go over screens, who know how to play tough on the perimeter and filter ball handlers down you know to anthony davis to kind of funnel in there you know they built a defensive system that really played up to them being you know the number two defense in the league and and really the best defense by the time the playoffs came around you know they weren't the greatest half court offense but guess what because they focused their defensive effort so much you know that's how they won the championship Mm. okay all right just making sure there's consistency all right cool i'm with it i'm with it all right julio Man, I I have two more that I wanted to get in there, but pick the, one. The ultimate one ha- has to be uh, get Bradley Beal out of Washington, <laughs> and you knew and it was in coming, choosing bro. a t- you 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 guys knew it was coming. So in, in choosing a team for him to go to, I wish I would have done what Eddie did with you know a specific trade uh, for James Harden. But the two teams that I want to see him go to are either the Warriors or the Miami Heat. Mm. And I just think I just think those two teams would benefit incredibly from as would 
pretty much any team in the NBA. But those two teams in particular, just because I, I feel like the Warriors, if you, if you have Steph, Clay, and Bradley Beal, I mean, the I can't even imagine how lethal that offense would be. Going to Eddie's point about just focusing on your strengths and on on one side of the ball, essentially, I mean, the Warriors would go crazy and they'd be one of my favorite teams to watch. And obviously Miami, because I I think although they made it to the finals last year, obviously they're not the favorites with the Nets and the Bucks. Um, They they need another all-star kind of scoring punch to pair with Jimmy and Bam. And I think Bradley Beal is just the ideal fit. His work ethic, you know, his, his, he, he can play off the ball. He can play on the ball. So those two teams, seeing him traded there, would complete my 2021. Free Badly Bill. Make it a movement, man. Julio, you've been, like, literally since I knew you, bro. I don't think you've – those might have been the first words I've heard you say. Like, those that like, <laughs> hi, I'm Reagan Griffin. Hi, I'm Julio Martinez. I think the words just need to trade Bradley Bill. Like, I'm pretty sure that's how I met you. But, no. Nah, they I mean, do. I hope they go win 72 so he, he gets out of there. They still haven't won a I game. Yeah, I mean, I want to see him in Miami. That would that would go crazy. I, I would love to watch Miami if that were the case. But don't don't say we didn't expect Russell Westbrook to go into Washington and stunt everyone's development. I mean, they lost to some five terrible teams, and they got to play like eight playoff teams in a row after that. So, like, they better figure it out quick if they if they want to contend. I mean, offensively, it's like iffy, but defensively, oh, it's bad, dude. No rim protection. They don't rotate well at all, right? Sometimes it's just straight laziness. Um, they don't read well. Like it, it's it's real ugly defensively, man. It, it, they I don't know what the numbers look like, but they're probably bottom five defensive team in the league. And offensively, like we know how Westbrook, West Russell Westbrook gets down. You know, you might be overstating a little bit, Eddie, but like it, it's not it's not a great fit at all. Um, free Bradley. Or, hey, at least he got his triple doubles, and he's collecting forty million a year. Crazy happy. <laughs> hey, yeah, I, like, and the thing is, like, no one's disliking Russell Westbrook either. Like, I'm sure his teammates. So you go down to Washington, you talk to him. Like, I'm sure they love the dude. Everyone who's ever played with Russell Westbrook doesn't have animosity towards Russell Westbrook as an individual. It's just like as a basketball from a basketball standpoint. I'm sure there's times where it's like, dude, why'd you pull up from the top of the key? You know you're not making that. Like, come on now. But um, yeah, man, free Bradley Bill. I'm going to have to hop on. Can I be the caboose on that train, man? I, I, I'm kind of yeah. late to the party, but I, I'll be there with you. All right, Eddie, you want to you wanna take the um, last one or you want me to? Uh, I'll do it just because this should be relatively short because I'm just kind of piggybacking on Julio's uh, one about, you know, better national TV games. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, like, I just want to see the NBA, and I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on Zion or the Pelicans, but, you know, I feel like people have kind of, you know, over what do you call it? Like just the, the the Zion hype is kind of over. I think I don't I don't really see people talking about Zion, seeing his name trending on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing people go all up in flames like it was when he you know made his debut in the regular season last year. I don't really see that anymore with Zion. So just in particular about the Pelicans, like I want the Pelicans to be good. Like I want to see Brandon Ingram play mostly, but you know, I don't know if they're worthy of like the third most national TV games like they had last year or this year or whatever, you know, start highlighting some other fun young teams like Memphis when John and Jaren comes back. Yeah. Or Atlanta. I mean, I've talked so much the last week about how Trey Young's become like, 
Trey Young could easily be the most watchable dude in the league, you know, if they put him on TV more. Like, Atlanta would be a great team to highlight. I mean, even, I mean, I guess even Charlotte, you know, like, people want to watch, I mean, LaMelo Ball and, you know, their other young pieces, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, dare I even say Cleveland? And maybe not. I, don't I would want to, I'd love, bro, I love watching Cleveland play basketball. You would. I love watching would, Cleveland. I mean, even Okoro, man, like, they got fun players. They do. The, the NBA would be making a mistake if they put Cleveland... But that, I mean, that's what I'm saying with these national TV games is like there's a lot of potential for, you know, these games because they're a deal for the teams that never get on TV. And for the teams that are on national TV a lot, like the Clippers, I don't think they really care that much. It's like Kawhi will still play half-heartedly even though they're on like TNT or whatever. It's like you, you can give more opportunities to more teams, you know, showcase them, get more people excited around the league. You know, you don't you don't have to keep feeding people LeBron and and – and Kawhi and Luca and Zion, you know, like every game, like after every game. I, I think the dichotomy. But I mean, it's in the NBA. I, I was. I would, let me just say this really quickly. It's in the NBA's best interest to start featuring, I guess, something other than LeBron. Yeah. And marketing, you know, other young stars because even if they may not themselves individually be LeBron esque, I mean, there's so many young, you know, young players out there that just. They deserve that kind of shine and, you know, notice. I mean, and it's like, look how that disseminates, right? When you look at these talk shows, um, like First Take and The Undisputed, how, how often are they talking about Darius Garland or Tyrese Halliburton or stuff like that? You know what I'm saying? You know, how often are they talking about what's going on in Washington? And, you know, should the Wizards or should for Bradley Beal's sake, should he try to move on? Like, the conversations generally just revolve around the top four or five teams if, unless something crazy happens with one, another one. Um, and I think the dichotomy for the NBA exists where it's like, do we prop up the guys who we already know are going to sell? Or do we try to make more guys who are capable of selling and try to uplift them? And I think you need to see more of the latter. Because, you know, when you, you talked about all the you know young stars like the Lamellos and the... Um, uh, Darius Garland's and who else is another? Trey Young. Trey Young's ja. and you know, ja, oh my God, people would love Ja. Are you kidding me? Like Ja is not a Memphis, like he's a Memphis ass person, but like it, on a national stage, people would fall in love with Ja's game, man. I mean, Devin Booker. Like, how often do we get to watch Phoenix on a national stage? These are the type of dudes that people are gonna gravitate to and love, and it kind of sucks. That it feels like. Um, the the support for guys like that still seems to be relatively underground in NBA circles, um, just because the the standard is just you know LeBron, Kawhi, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and, and just call it a day. So yeah, I think that's probably that might be the best resolution I've heard today, man. Prop up some new well, dudes. It, it's it, it's also uh on for a quick note, it's also they also do it based on lo- <clears throat> on location too. Um, for some reason when the Lakers. You know, we were in that drought of winning like 10 games per year. They still wanted to put Kendall Marshall, Wesley. No, what was his name? Was it Wesley Matthews? Wesley no, Johnson. Wesley Johnson. Uh, Wesley Johnson uh, Ryan Kelly and Robert Sacre on national televised games. You know, th- that, that's like the perfect opportunity to bounce the Lakers and put in, you know, another young team. Amen. So it, it's. We don't need to prioritize big markets. You know, if they have young players like the Celtics, let's say, and they're in a big market, then, the, I mean, that's fine. But even if they're in a small market, I, I, I just I just feel like it shouldn't matter that much. Yeah. 
I don't know about you, but I loved watching Ramon Sessions, Jordan Hill pick and rolls. Those were, <laughs> those were immaculate. <laughs> those were immaculate, bro. The Jordan Farmer, like those were the Swaggy P. Come on now, like that was an era. That was an era to behold. Nah, man, I'm with you. I, that that's probably the best. Uh, in terms of the grand scheme of things, at least, I think that's probably the best resolution of today. On a other note, one that's probably not going to affect the grand scheme of things at all, but I have to say it just because I'm Reagan Griffin Jr. and this is what I do. Last wish is for Lou Dort to keep doing what he's doing. And I bet y'all don't even know what Lou Dort's doing right now. Y'all don't even good. know. He's been good. He's been great, bro. Like, and, the, and the only reason why I know is because I have him on a watch list in fantasy in case he goes off. Hey, man. And that's the only reason why I know. 16 points a game, shooting 51% from the field. Julio, how, what, what do you think Lou Dort's shooting from three right now? Uh, I'm assuming he's hot because you seem very excited. Hey man, just just give you me a, just give me a ballpark up, number. You would, you would not you you would not bring up his name if he wasn't doing well. <laughs> um, I don't know, forty seven, forty eight, even higher, forty eight percent from three right now on five point eight attempts per game. So it's not like he's just pulling two, three threes a game and calling it a day. That dude's pulling that thing and hitting forty eight percent. Man, I joke around about him a lot. Um, cause like, it's kind of like, it was funny at first, but like, I feel like this is almost like an Alex Caruso thing where it kind of started as a meme, but then you took another look. It's like, no, this dude's hooping for real. Like he's showing an ability to put the ball on the ground when they try to match him up on smaller guards, like Mike Conley, he's able to out muscle him and get to the rim. Like he can hoop, man. He's a good player. I I just never understood why maybe it was a too small of a sample size, but in the bubble, when I first, you know caught his name and, you know, really watched him, I never knew why he couldn't make a damn three. Now, I'll tell like you his, why. His form, his form is not bad. I, I've, I've said that. His form is not bad. And the way he attacks the basket, he's fast, he's mm-hmm. quick twitched, he can get up, and he's strong as hell. Yes, he is. He can really attack the basket. So, I mean, adding that element, and to me, it just doesn't even seem that hard because his form isn't bad. His so, form isn't bad at all. My theory... And based on watching him this year is that last year he kind of got in his own head a little bit just considering, right, he's a rookie um, and he kind of got thrust into the limelight in that bubble setting, being the guy who was tasked with slowing down arguably one of the greatest offensive weapons that the game has ever seen in James Harden, right? So all eyes were on him on the defensive end. And then as he started, you know, going down this snowball hill of uh, missing a lot of threes, that became the narrative. Oh, he's really good defensively, but he can't hit a three worth of shit. And you know, in the bubble, when there's no other distractions, you know, that kind of gets to his head a little bit. Um, But now that he's in a position where that's the role he was anticipating and he knew he was going to be a starter and he knew he was going to be dependent upon um, to make those threes, he's pulling them with confidence now. And I I don't think he was pulling them with confidence when he was in the bubble. I mean, hell, he kept on pulling them, but I'm not sure it was the same level of confidence um, that he currently has right now. And like you mentioned, the fact that he's so strong and he's so quick twitch, you combine that with what looks like a really good jumper now, not like, you know, all NBA, he's not Joe Harris or Davis Bertans, but like the dude's going to be good. You combine that with the fact that if you have to close out on him and he can make you pay with his strength and speed, the dude's going to be good, man. He has, he has some stuff to him. I think we're witnessing the emergence of, you know, not a star, not not an all star, but like one of those really oh, no. good starters that that kind of floats around the league a little bit and is like one of those super role players. Um, 
Royce O'Neal, perhaps, somewhere along those lines. But, yeah, man, I had to shout out my guy, Lou Dort. He's playing really well this year, um, and he's shooting that thing. So, fuck anybody that doubted him. <laughs> That's all I got to say, though, man. <laughs> Anything else before um, we get up out of here? I, 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 I had one last one that I wanted to uh... – get in before we left and that's I, I want Kyrie to have several game winners throughout the playoffs and maybe another you know just to send it home although yes I do want the Lakers to win I would not mind if Kyrie hit another game winner in the finals you think he's taking that shot I think KD wouldn't be mad I mean I wouldn't be mad it's Kyrie Irving but like you know that I mean it's hard to envision a situation where the clock's it depends, running down. It depends who's hot. It really, it really depends who's hot. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I definitely think they trust each other enough to where they would be able to come to a decision. But I feel like seven, eight times out of ten, that ball's probably in Kevin Durant's hands. Just because, I mean, honestly, it probably depends on the matchup more than anything. See, that's that's what I was getting to. Who, like, who tends to be better defenders? Wings. On KD, and although KD is like unstoppable because of his length, um, or point guards guarding Kyrie, and, and point guards tend to be worse at defense. Yeah. So, I don't know. It might be a situation where they just get the ball in. And it's like, okay, who we who can we pick on right now? Oh, Steph's guarding Kyrie. Oh, <laughs> Let it fly. They they decoy they decoy and swing it out to Joe Harris, a la Steve Kerr style. I mean, I wouldn't be mad at that either. Steve Nash has done a better job lately of getting Joe Harris those shots, man. He's uh, he's sparking that jink for real. Or just post up DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, no, that's the one, bro. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one, bro. Or, or, or for Eddie, just Bruce Brown. I don't know why we're not talking about Bruce Brown right now. He needs to be taking the shot over KD and Kyrie, man. I mean, why, why not Jared Allen? He's a top 10 <laughs> All right. Let's just throw out all the dirty. Hey, man, that'll do it for this episode of Hoop and Holler. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Go check out the socials at SQR1Hoops. That's on Instagram and Twitter. All that good stuff. We will see y'all next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler podcast.